We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Roges, and I'm on our digital ministry team here at Rolling Hills. As we've been in our current series, Advanced, we've been exploring different aspects of health. And today we're learning about emotional health. Emotions, we all have them, but sometimes they can be a lot to manage. But emotional health is important as it can influence our environments, our attitudes, our relationships, and more. When we stand firm on our faith in Christ, we can have peace and joy. And out of the overflow of these things, our emotions and feelings, and how we process those, in turn, are healthier. Now, here's week three of our series. Well, it's a great joy to be here. I, uh, the word must have gotten out that I'm speaking because absolutely nobody showed up except for Jeff and some guys in the sound booth. But I know the snow is out, but I'm delighted that you all are online watching. We are going to be looking at what it means to have emotional health. And all of us struggle with this. We first ought to at least identify what we even mean by emotions. Emotions are those things that come out of the heart during times of relationships or circumstances, all kinds of emotions. And one of the things that I just absolutely love about Jeff and about this church is that you don't just explain the gospel, you celebrate the gospel, which allows people to leave here feeling like they're emotionally healthy. And we go through struggles all throughout the week. But today we're going to look at a man, and I could have picked different people, We're going to look at a man by the name of Asaph. Asaph was the choir director for David during King David's reign in Israel. And you'll find this in the 73rd Psalm. So if you would turn there, we're going to look at Asaph. Asaph is a man that has written this psalm, and the psalm is divided almost perfectly in half. The first half of the psalm is he is emotionally unhealthy. He goes into into a nosedive. The second half, he pulls out of that. And if we can find out what causes the nosedive, and if we can find out what allows us to come out of that, some things will happen in our lives emotionally. And all of us have emotional roller coasters, ups and downs with the things of life. So I'm going to read the first few verses here, and then we'll pray. We read this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those that are of a pure heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Father, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice that the psalmist starts out with a typical bit of Christianese. Surely God is good to Israel, even to those that have a pure heart. We do that a lot, don't we? We tell people that God is really good. And then when difficult times come, we begin to question whether God is really good. And that's what's happening here. Asaph is now going to leave this opening line and say, but my feet 
had almost slipped when I considered the prosperity of the wicked. Now, if we don't have some terms right, we're going to get a lot wrong here. Asaph somehow has bought in to the idea of the world's view of prospering. Prosperity to the world is this idea of financial success or academic success or business success. That is not the definition from Scripture. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law shall he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Prosper there is not lots of stuff or things. Now, God has given us all things freely to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with prospering financially. But when we don't have our definition right, then we get everything wrong, and that's exactly what he's got wrong here. He believes that this is what success looks like. He's slipping into a, in, into a wrong way of thinking. Now, follow this. Look at what happens here. Verse 4 says this. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens of common man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. <clears throat> the evil conceits of their minds know no limits. Now, let's take a look and see and experience what he's experiencing by way of emotion. Number one, He's angry. He's angry at God. He's angry at these people. He's angry at the fact that they seem to live long and have so much. But clearly that isn't true, that every wicked person lives long and has everything they've ever wanted. But many do. And many times we're having trouble getting our car paid for, our house mortgage payment, and we're looking around and we're seeing, you know, drug dealers making all kinds of money and living the way they live. And he says, you know, their, their minds have no end to the conceit this is an interesting thing. Whenever evil enters a human society, whether it's America or any society, it's first met with shock. Oh, oh, I can't believe it. Then it's met with, it's, we'll tolerate it. Then it's met with acceptance. Then it's embraced. And then it's promoted. Have you not seen that in your lifetime? Have you not seen what's taking place around us? So we look around, and sometimes we get emotionally upset. This man is emotionally upset with that. He's also emotionally upset with the fact that he doesn't seem to be prospering by his definition of prosperity, which is the world's definition of prosperity. And because of that, he's sinking. He's going further and further down into this, into this despondency. And he just, he's having trouble getting, getting his arms around this, and yet he knows the Lord. He understands him, but he's fallen for this false understanding of prosperity. And you read on. It says, it says in verse uh, uh, 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters of abundance. It's almost like they have every single thing they could ever want. So here are some things he's experiencing emotionally. He's angry. He's upset. He's jealous. And he's envious. And here's why. If your definition of prosperity 
is stuff or great financial success, if that's your definition of prosperity, you are going to be jealous of people that are moving up the ranks ahead of you in the business world. Jealousy is the fear of being replaced or displaced. Envy is wanting what somebody else has. And that's exactly what he's experiencing. He's got these emotions that are just charged inside of him. <clears throat> he's got this definition, if I just had that, if I just could live longer, if I could just have more money, more things like these wicked people have, I'd find happiness and great security. That is a false definition of success. You know, Jeff and I, one of the great privileges I've had traveling with Jeff is we go to the Amazon every year. We've been doing it for a number of years now. And if you want to see what success looks like in the Christian life, you ought to meet some of the people in the Amazon. But first, let me make a comparison. A number of years ago, there was a man by the name of Ivan Besky. He was a, he was a, a, a big financial wizard on Wall Street, made lots of money. And Time Magazine interviewed him. And they interviewed Betsky and they said, tell us about your, your, your day. And he spent 20 hours a day working. He just, a few hours of sleep at night, always gone, always traveling. And they said, tell us how you became so successful. What's the formula to your success? I circled the word success in the magazine and said, that success, never home, no sleep, constantly grabbing after money and greed and so on, that's not success. Let me tell you what success is. One of my favorite pastors in the Amazon is Pastor Cosme. And Pastor Cosme, one day, he and I were sitting across, this was about three years ago, we were sitting across from one another at lunch, and a guy on our staff back home in Reston, um, Mike Myers, speaks, speaks Portuguese. So I said, Mike, Asked Pastor Cosme how his, how his week's been going, and, or how his, how his year's gone. And they didn't, he, he had this huge smile on his face, and he was just speaking away, and I, I'm all excited. And Mike says, oh, his year was great, fantastic year. And uh, he said, except for the fact that when the river rises, which it does every year, the, the church got washed away. But, but it was a great year. My house also got washed away, but it was, it was a fantastic year. Oh, and by the way, I stepped on a stingray, and it went right through my foot, almost lost my leg. But, you know, God is good, and he was just... And I looked at Mike, and I said, he didn't understand my question. Ask him again, what do you mean that's a good year? And he said, oh, the church can always be rebuilt. That's, that's not a problem. And he said, we can always... Um, we can always uh, rebuild my house. And as far as the foot is concerned, those things just happen in life. That evening, Jeff said, let's have a foot washing ceremony. And Pastor Cosme was in my group. And I was assigned to a certain number of pastors. And I'm kneeling down and I'm washing his feet. And I looked over at his left foot. And here was the hole with a scar on it. And all I could think of saying is, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel of peace and good news. And I thought, that's success. That's biblical success. Biblical success, as far as emotion is concerned, is finding your complete wealth in Christ, your total wealth in 
Christ. So as we look at this, we begin to see he's, he's spiraling down. Now, the first half of this psalm, it, it's fascinating. The very first half of this psalm is it's all about me. He's, he's, he's having this pity party. It's all about the here and the now, the temporal. Uh, God isn't even in this at all. It, it's all about whether life is fair or not. That's the first half. The second half is exactly the opposite. He's spiraling down because he has a wrong view of what it means to be prosperous or what it means to be successful. So we move on here. We read this in verse 11. They say, how can God know? Now, now he's referring to what these people are speaking about. How can God know? Doubt. Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Well, that's not true. But sometimes it's true. And he is, he is beginning to think the way they think. He starts out, surely God is good to Israel, even to those that are of a pure heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped when I considered the prosperity of the wicked. Now he, the, the, the psalm starts out with a conclusion. And he starts spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. And now he's saying, these wicked people, they don't even believe in God. It, where's God? Does God really have knowledge of this? We see this all throughout our land today. Where is God? You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something to those of you that are, if you're a, a young person, listen very carefully to what I wanna say. If you're, say, 15, maybe you're into your mid-20s, let me throw something out to you. There's such a thing called the law of the harvest in Scripture. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap after you sow. And here's what happens, follow his thinking here, here's what happens when you don't experience that particular law. In other words, in, in the ninth grade, 10th grade, you see some of your friends starting to fool around with uh, you know, immoral things, pornography, drugs, what have you, heavy drinking and all that, and you think, well, they're gonna get theirs, and then the 10th grade rolls around, the 11th grade rolls around, and nothing happens. 12th grade, nothing happens. Well, they, well, when they get in college, and it only gets worse when they're in college, well, I'm sure the law of the harvest is gonna come in because I learned it in church, and it's in the Bible, and nothing happens. And pretty soon, you do what Asaph does. You start thinking, well, maybe, maybe God doesn't really know. Maybe this isn't really true. But you've forgotten the other part. They reap after they sow. No seed goes in the ground and comes up in a day. But that harvest will come in. It may be in their marriage many years later, but it will come in. Do not be fooled by looking around and thinking, boy, they're having a lot of fun. I'm missing out on life. I better, I better jump on the bandwagon while I got a chance and have the fun that I'm missing out on. Don't buy that. It is a false view of life. Let's read on. We read this, verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Now it's all about me. And here's what we think. Come on, we, we think this way. I know I do. Let me put it that way. Lord, I'm going through a difficult time. I have my devotions every day. I go to church. I give money. And, 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 and this is how you treat me? 
This is how you treat me? All these troubles and problems, and I see all these wicked people, many of them prospering. And then you go into this this time of of a real pity party. You start really feeling badly for yourself as you look at this. And I look down, I'm, I'm looking at this text here, and we're getting ready to come to a pivotal point, an absolutely pivotal point in this particular text. Keep in mind, the emotions that he is experiencing, jealousy, there's a certain fear, there's anger towards God, towards the lost, he's, uh, he's, he's envious, he's got all kinds of things bubbling up inside, he's feeling sorry for himself, he's got self-doubt, all kinds of emotions that are springing up, that are springing up from the inside. And we read this. This is, now, now follow, follow me very, very carefully with this. This is the turning point. He says in verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, perhaps. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. innocence. I've done all these things, but it's been in vain. I'm not getting, I'm not prospering. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Now that's an exaggeration, but he is still honestly recording his exaggeration. Plagued every day, all day long. There are times when we feel that way. Listen to this. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. Here's what he's saying. If I had a, it'd be like Jeff getting up and saying, I'm really starting to doubt the the Bible. I'm starting to doubt the word of God. That would be a betrayal of the other people within the church finding this out about Jeff. So he hasn't done that. But he's saying that this, this could have happened. And notice this. Verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. 16. When I tried to understand all this, it was too oppressive for me. Another emotion. He's feeling oppressed. He, the expression here is he's feeling like everything is caving in in his life. He just can't get a grip on life. And all of it is due to a wrong understanding and definition of success, of prosperity. Now, if you've prospered, if you have a nice home, I do, I have a nice car, I've got one, all, all that, that, that's fine. Those are blessings from God. But if those blessings become your life, that becomes idolatry and it becomes your identity. And your identity becomes your idolatry. And that will drown you. It will drown you. Listen to Jesus' words when he, and the warnings that he has regarding success. He tells the, the parable of the, of the rich fool who, who was going to store up so much stuff because he had so much things. He said, I'll sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. I have many years left. And Jesus says, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up treasures in heaven. It's always an eternal perspective. One of my favorites is the, the, the man that in, in Luke 12, dealing with the rich fool, the man that comes out of the crowd and says to Jesus, please convince my brother, please convince my brother to share the inheritance, to divide the inheritance. And Jesus says, I'm not a divider of inheritances. That's not what I do. And then he says this. I used to tell our people back home, nobody believes this verse. Here's what he says. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Hardly anybody believes that, which is why we possess so many things. But Jesus makes that statement, and it's a pretty clear definition of that ain't success. 
So it's all throughout scripture, over and over again, charge those that are rich among you not to trust in uncertain riches. And here is Asaph spinning out of control, looking around jealous, fearful, doubtful, angry, upset, oppressed, because he has a wrong definition of prosperity, and it's affecting his emotional well-being and his emotional health. Now comes the pivotal point. Verse 17. I don't know how your translation is, but it probably says something like until or till. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. That little till, everything hinges on that. Now, all of a sudden, everything becomes just, not just fair. Everything, everything is now eternal, not temporal. Everything is going to be about God, not all about him, all right? He steps in and he goes into the sanctuary of the Lord. Now, the sanctuary of the Lord is where people are. It's the gathering. This is why it's important to gather, whether it's in small groups or whatever. It's where you are around people that lift up your spirits, that encourage your heart. And I've said this every time I've had a chance to speak here to small groups here or there. This church doesn't just explain the gospel. They celebrate the gospel. And that starts with Jeff all the way on down through the staff, every, all throughout leadership and all throughout the church. There's a celebration of the good news of the gospel. Now watch what he goes on. He says here, verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Now the truth comes out. Not all wealthy people that have gained their wealth in unrighteous means are living this great life. Many of them can't sleep at night, conscience bothering them. We already know from Scripture that God put the law in their hearts, that he's given a conscience to every human being. There's all kinds of things going on behind the scenes that you and I don't know. And we're trying to observe things the way we see it, but we have to go to Scripture to see how God sees it. And now we're gonna see Asaph leave this, this emotional downward spiral, and he's going to start regaining his health. And it's, it's worth listening to, to for us to get our health back, our emotional health. You put them in slippery places. He says in verse 20, as a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. It's almost like God has been the one that's been asleep. Asaph is saying, you know, I've been complaining the first half, and, and when you arise, O Lord, the truth will be known. The truth will be known. Please don't ever envy the prosperity of the wicked. It's not worth it. It'll destroy you emotionally. It'll drag you down. You'll see, and, and even, if, even if the person is a, is a fine person, if they're a good person, if they're a godly person, but you find yourself jealous because of their position or envious of what they own, it means you still don't grasp, and I still don't grasp what it means to be prosperous in the Lord. Now there's a whole eternal value system that takes place. Verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. He's now confessing the fact, how could I have thought this way? 
what was I thinking? What was I thinking that, that I would get to this place that I was actually believing that these people were prospering? I wasn't thinking. And now he is thinking. And now he is turned to find his fullness in everything in, in the person of the Lord. For us, the, the person of Christ. And, he, and he's coming out of this, of this despondency. He's rising. His spirits are being lifted. He's being encouraged by the Lord. And he's recording that for us. I often tell people that whenever you open the Bible, you're entering the world of the unknown. Because the world doesn't know this. God can only delve into the human heart and reveal these great truths. So he says, I was like a beast before you. Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute, Asaph. You're saying that God is going to take you to glory? You're saying that when you die, God's going to take you by your right hand and bring you into glory? Aren't you a little arrogant? Can anybody be, be certain of eternal life? What? Well, let me think. Job said in Job 19, though my body decay and rot, I know that my Redeemer lives and stands on the earth in the latter days. And though my entire body rots, I will see God. Paul said, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. The thief on the cross was told he was going to heaven. David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you ever think of that? There are numerous places in Scripture where people in this life were certain of eternal life. And it wasn't because they were good. And it wasn't because they were religious. It's because they put their faith in Christ and Christ alone. In the Old Testament, in God for their salvation. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. Now I have to tell you, I'm not there yet. I wish I could say that verse 20, uh, 25 was true of Mike Minter. All right? Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. I have, I have no desire here at all. Contentment is not coming to a place in life where you have everything. Contentment is coming to a place in your life where you desire nothing. Follow that? Contentment is not coming to a place in life where you have everything. It's coming to a place in life where you desire nothing but God and God alone, which is exactly what he says here. I have only you. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What is emotional success? Well, what does it mean to be emotionally healthy? I'm almost 78 years old. I've been a Christian for 51 years, and I'm not there. We've been through a very, very difficult time as a family. I've just moved. I've had to leave a church. I've been pastoring for many, many years. A lot of emotional swirl. And I have to give myself a good, hard talking to a lot of times when I find myself swirling down emotionally. I've got to go back, and I've got to say, Lord, are you really my, my portion? Is, is, it, is, it, is it, does it have to be my family or what I own or this or that? Because everything in this world is going to perish, no matter what it is. No, my portion, 
must be him and I must desire him above all else. And that's what's pulling him out of this despondency. He goes on. He says in verse 27, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Wow. Whoa. He goes from surely God is good to Israel, even to those of a pure heart. And then he starts doubting it. He says, but my feet almost slipped when I considered the prosperity of the wicked. And we see the jealousy, the anger, the fear, the worry, the doubt, the guilt, the shame, everything just spiraling out of control. And he goes from it's all about me in the first half to it's all about God. He goes from, from it's all about the here and now to it's all about that which is eternal. He goes from uh, success, is, uh, emotional success is having everything I want to no emotional success is finding God as my total desire of everything. There's this whole idea of fairness and justice all throughout life. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't think life is fair in the first half. It, it's not fair. It's not fair. But life is just. And here's what I mean. Fairness will always be measured on a temporal scale. It'll always be measured on a, on a temporary scale in life. Justice is measured on an eternal scale. And that's how God measures things. There is no way, if you have two children, three children, four children, or you run a business, there is absolutely no way that you can ever treat everybody with total fairness. It's impossible, absolutely impossible. Somebody's gonna get treated a little bit better than somebody else. And so, if you have if you have twin, twin boys, and you've got one cookie left in the jar, and you pull it out, and you go, I'll just break it in half, and you snap it in half, and you give one to one, one to the other. What's the first thing they do? They look to see which one got the bigger half. And they can tell by, the, by a crumb, all right? And what do they say? The one that gets the smaller half says, it's not fair. And now you have an answer. You can say, it isn't fair, but it is just, and it'll all be weighed out in eternity. Probably won't go over real well, but at any rate, that's what the Scriptures are teaching. This is why it is so important to dive into a text, to look at it deeply, to meditate on it, to say, is this, is this a reflection of my life? What does this have to say about me? Where do I fit into this storyline, this narrative? Because when I go in here, I can easily see myself <coughs> as Asaph. It's certainly in the first half. And many times I see myself coming out. But I have to tell you this. It's a lifelong journey. It is a lifelong journey. No one's going to live perfectly in the second half. We're all going to have our times of spiraling out of control. Here's what I would ask you to do. When you find yourself emotionally unhealthy, when you find your emotions are exploding here and there, jealousy, worry, fear, all these different things that are just spiraling out of control. Let's go back to the source. Let's go back and ask ourselves this question. Why do I feel that way? What, do I have a right definition of what it means to live a successful life? 
Do I have a right definition? Would I rather be Pastor Cosme or Mr. Besky? Would I rather be a man who, or a woman who, who lives in the total dependence of Christ or somebody who lives in the total dependence of things and stuff and worry and work and all that? These are the issues. These are the issues. Here's something else, and we'll wrap up with this. In the very first half of this psalm, in the very first half, he despises the wicked. He despises the lost. This reminds me of Jonah that was told to go to Nineveh and preach against this city because their wickedness had come up before God. <clears throat> Jonah despised them. But here's how he finishes. I will tell of all of your wonderful deeds. I will tell of all of your wonderful works. He goes from despising the lost to wanting to reach the lost. Now, I don't know how many of you are watching online right now, but I have to believe that some of you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to believe that in a church this size, there are some that think they know, that are fairly certain they know, but you're not absolutely certain of eternal life. And I just showed you there are people in the Bible that know for certain where they're going to spend eternity. So let me give you a little illustration. Let my right hand represent you and me and everybody in the world, and my wallet represents sin. Religion says, just keep turning over a new leaf, try harder, get that spiritual letter sweater up, you know, do whatever you possibly can, and someday when you die, God will let you into heaven. Let my left hand represent the Lord Jesus Christ. No sin, none, zero. Now watch very, very carefully. Put down the cup of coffee, whatever you got. Watch very, very carefully because your eternal destiny depends on what you understand about this. Religion, try harder, try harder. Christ, absolutely perfect. The second, second Corinthians 5.21 says, for God has made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did you see what happened? It's called the great, the great exchange. All of my sin, all of your sin, when we believe, goes on to Christ, and all of his righteousness is placed to my account, to your account. But you have to believe that. Do you believe that? Have you ever put your faith, your confidence, your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it in your success in life, your money, your business, your family, it must be in Christ and Christ alone. So if you have never put your faith in Christ, I would encourage you today as we close in prayer that you'd call upon the name of the Lord that you might be saved and say, Lord Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner, I'm lost. I want your righteousness, not my righteousness. I want your perfect righteousness placed to my account. And today I'm putting my faith in you and you alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this great privilege to preach at this great church. And Lord, I pray should there be anyone at home that's watching right now that has never, ever come to the full grasp of understanding the gospel, that today would be the day they would pass from death unto life, be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God's dear Son by putting their faith, their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in him and him alone. And Father, it's to this that we give you all the glory. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with a couple of friends. You can also check out some of our other great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Irish Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful for you.